This is Winning Slowly, taking a long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitschow. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And we're and back! We're, wait, no, we did back. that. Wait, no, we lost it again. <laughs> ah, ah, I don't know what's going on here! This is this is Winning Slowly, a podcast where time doesn't matter and the Wibbly points are wobbly, made up. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Yeah. yeah. We may have been overly optimistic about being ready to start again. <laughs> I mean, we definitely tried. We tried. And then you moved across the country. Good work, you Stephen. Tried. Yeah, it's a thing. We're going to try to get back on, but then like, but Chris then I'm is going to have to move across the country. The country. <laughs> <laughs> this may be Winning Slowly, the show that appears sporadically at random yeah. times to keep its listeners on their toes. Yeah, 2017 will be our lost year, y'all. 2018 is going to be great, though. <laughs> We're going to be... Both of us in a stable location. Both not of us will have degrees, dedicated offices. Dedicated offices. Good microphones. It's going to be amazing. So I know it's only the middle of 2017, <laughs> but get excited for About 2018. <laughs> this is winning slowly. That's how we roll. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, so while you're here, we might as well do a <laughs> podcast episode. And uh, today we're going to continue talking about structure and agency. We only have a few episodes in this topic left, and Mm -hmm. then we're going to take some amount of break for season six, but probably not that much break because we've just... Yeah, we've done a long break. We might also throw a couple random semi-bonus, semi-promise to you in season four kinds of episodes in the mix as well. Some palate cleansers, shall we say. Um, so, you know, we are just gonna keep on keeping on. Um, but we are gonna start rolling in towards the end of our, uh, structure agency discussion. Uh, for those of you who are new or have forgotten, we don't blame you. <laughs> our recent season is looking at how structure and agency affect the ways that we live, work, and do technology. And we are looking at three different axes on which these, Uh, types of technologies can be considered the uh, first being the social versus legal axis so whether or not something is defined by uh, legal rules or by social practice and that's a spectrum but it's uh it's one of the ways one of them is simply whether the structure that impacts individual agency in question is positive or negative uh does does the thing that causes people to tend to act in certain ways or against which people are pushing, is it good or is it bad? And the third one is the visible, invisible spectrum. So whether something is upfront and obvious to the casual observer or whether you have to take a more close look at things to see whether the structure is actually working or not working. Right. So today we're going to be discussing something that is negative, visible, and social. Yep. And we're just going to make everyone angry, we're quite sure. Yes, that's kind of our MO here at Winning Slowly. (laughs) So we're going to talk about vaccination. And it's likely that you, our listeners, have strong feelings about vaccinations one way or another. And most people do, most, incidentally. Most people do. This is a now very visible issue. It hasn't necessarily always had the same visibility it has now. We're not necessarily going to spend a lot of time talking about the evidence for or against whether you should vaccinate your children, 
we're, we're going to touch on that briefly, but as the springboard into this broader discussion about a topic that we've danced around for a lot of this season, which is when is it appropriate for you to apply legal force to create a structure or to sustain a structure? We talked in our last episode, I almost said last week, but it was definitely not last week. Definitely not last week. We talked in our last episode about a place for legal punishment of wrongdoing. Sexual harassment deserves punishment. We talked a couple episodes ago, which was many, many months ago, about creating legal structures to support certain kinds of things. For example, laws which incentivize certain kinds of behavior. Specifically, there we were looking at internet providers and ways that you might create regulatory structures which are there mostly not to actually constrain the ongoing specific behaviors of the system, but rather to create the space for the system to function appropriately. Right. Which is something that we've talked about before in Mm -hmm. that we want to promote positive action in as many ways as possible. But as we're about to talk to today, sometimes that's not possible. Right. Sometimes you have to tackle problems through somewhat coercive means. And there's danger in this. We freely acknowledge that. And that's what makes this specific topic so illuminating in many ways. And you'll be able to extrapolate from some of the things we say here into many other areas. But one of the things we need to lay out right up front is this reality that what is applicable depends on the particulars of the situation. And so if we conclude that the government is in fact justified in applying some kind of coercive force about parents vaccinating their children under certain circumstances, that doesn't necessarily translate into the government being justified in other cases. One of the things we want to highlight is what justifies the use of coercion if, in fact, there are times when the use of coercive governmental force on people's liberties is justified. And this is different, you'll note, from saying that for the sake of individual good, it's justifiable for the government to regulate companies, which is where we landed to a qualified and nuanced degree in our discussion of internet service providers. It's a very different thing to say the government has the right to regulate what a business can and cannot do to individual consumers than it is to say that the government can and perhaps should tell parents what medical treatments they should apply to their children. Right. These are not the same. And if if it's not immediately obvious that they're not the same, well, we're going to talk a bit about why it's not the same. Right. So to start off with, in any discussion of vaccination, we should point out that uh, in many situations, vaccinations have been proven to resist and in some cases completely eliminate diseases from childhood. Right. In situations where the vaccine can be administered over a large range of people for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And those are specifically important qualifiers that we'll get into later. (laughs) So that is something that we are aware of. We're also aware of the anti-vaccination movement, which uh, has beginnings in a now discredited article in The Lancet, but has expanded from somewhat uh, to entirely uh, dubious medical research into a larger question of rights and parental control Mm -hmm. and government intervention and uh, systematic interpretation of individual mandates. There's a whole bundle of things that go on. So 
when we're talking about people who are against vaccinations, we're not talking just about uh, the very far fringes. We're talking about right. people that, for whatever reason, whether it's they don't like the application of multiple vaccines at once, mm -hmm. or they don't like the application of vaccines at certain ages, but would approve of them at different ages, or whatever type of reason that a systematic top-down treatment of all individuals the same is not in their particular interest. Right. So that's the group of people that we're talking about. Right. And that distinction is really important to make because there's a huge difference between people who are unwilling to receive any evidence that a quack article that was published a couple decades ago is in fact a quack article, and someone who in fact is very familiar with and agrees with the consensus opinion about the effectiveness of vaccines, but thinks that applying three of them at the same time to a two-year-old might not be the most effective or healthiest approach, especially given medical concerns in their own family or that child's specific history. Those aren't the same, but they often get lumped together. Guess what? We're winning slowly. We're not lumping those together. We are going to say some things about the extent to which those concerns may or may not be valid for fully opting out, but we do want mm -hmm. to offer that qualification up front. I have people right. in my own extended family who land in that much more thoughtful, have read relevant journal articles in detail, and have medical degrees themselves, and have landed on the, I want to spread these out for my kid for reasons X, Y, and Z. Not, I don't want to vaccinate my kid, but I want to spread them out, and here are some really careful, considered reasons why. Those aren't the same. And, right. and a failure to distinguish between those two is, we think, one of the reasons that pro-vaccination rhetoric has often gone amok, failed to persuade its hearers. Because if right. you're that person in my extended family or anyone like them, who's making that kind of extremely careful, nuanced, well-reasoned argument about why the current one-size-fits-all approach in the government is bad, and you're getting lumped in with someone who thinks that it's undeniable that vaccinations are behind all the modern ills in all human health, well, you're just not going to persuade that person very effectively. So to start with, our structure agency axes here. So we think that the, the function of this particular discussion is talking about um, where exactly on the spectrum this falls in the social legal structure. So I mentioned that it was social because part of what we're going to be discussing is how people interpret legal action as opposed to what legal action should be doing. Um, but we're really going to talk about both. It's kind of a spectrum discussion here, um, the whole breadth of it. And then thinking about negative uh, is, again, somewhat of a choice on our part in that there are some people that you know, are going to think this is deeply positive and some people are going to think this is deeply negative. And so we're kind of focused on the ways that this is perceived negatively as a, something the government should not be doing or should be doing in a limited way. So we're thinking about the sorts of pushback against vaccination, whether or not we are interested in being part of that pushback ourselves. And then the visible invisible is this has become more visible over the past few decades, um, but it in practice is largely an invisible thing. You can't really tell right off the bat if someone is uh, vaccinated or not vaccinated or whether they are interested in being vac 
vaccinated or not vaccinated. So we we do have uh, our axes going here, but they're kind of wobbly for this episode. So they uh, and, and you know they're heuristics, they're guidelines, right? And and so the thing I want to to note there is that. I mean, in terms of staking out a position, just to explain where I am, I think that mandatory vaccinations, perhaps with a good deal more nuance than they have, but mandatory vaccinations are a good thing. I think that they are best and most effective when they're actually right in the middle of the legal social axis, where they have broad social support. I think they should. And I think mostly it's fair to say they do. But I also think there might be good reason, and in this case there is, I think, good reason for them to exist on a legal side of the spectrum as well. So kind of right Right. in the middle there, using both. And then I think keeping it visible is actually one of the most important things here, because one of the reasons why much of the backlash exists is because it has been invisible, in essence. Mm. And what I mean by that is... It is much easier for someone today to doubt the necessity or value of a polio vaccine than it was in 1935. Exactly. Because no one gets polio or dies of polio or is crippled by polio today. In places where there have been long-term application uh, over a wide group of people. Right. Because what happens over that period of time is the ability of the disease to get a hold. And vaccines work on transmitted diseases. Vaccines don't help things like genetically triggered diseases, etc. But when you when you have a vaccine that has been widely distributed over a long period of time throughout a population, you end up with a phenomenon called herd immunity. And this is often not well understood. Uh, we're not going to get into enormous details on it. But suffice it to say, it basically comes out to if enough people are basically speaking, immune to it via the vaccine, then even the people for whom the vaccine didn't work end up with a functional immunity to it because they will never be exposed to someone who has the disease. Because if 98% of the population can't get it, the other 2% of the population are extremely unlikely to encounter someone who does have it. Right. And in places where vaccinations haven't been distributed consistently over a long period of time widely throughout the population, you don't get that effect. And when you review the literature, that's what becomes very clear. So in the United States and uh, many other developed nations in the world, and increasingly in a number of the more recently developing nations in the world, you find these kinds of herd immunity effects. But that has the effect of making the effect of the vaccine invisible. Because you're no longer at a point where you're encountering the reason for the vaccine, even if it didn't actually work for you. Right. You do, however, begin to see much more clearly against the very, very, very low numbers of people who even can get that, the downsides. When you first start, the downsides of the vaccine, if, say, half of 1% of the population is susceptible to side effects of the vaccine, negative side effects, well... If the majority of the population is vulnerable to polio, that half of 1% doesn't really show up. It's a much, much smaller proportion than the people who are helped by the presence of the vaccine. However, once the effect of the vaccine itself effectively becomes invisible, the risks of the vaccine seem much higher than they were before precisely because they're set against an invisible backdrop rather than against the original high-risk factor they were being compared against. Right. 
So you've got a situation where it does not seem that vaccines do the thing that they're supposed to, because the thing that they're supposed to do is keep things away. So this is kind of like the punchline of, do you want to see my elephant repellent? Do you see any <laughs> elephants around? So It works perfectly. The, it works perfectly. There are no elephants here. So there's an issue here, and this is the crux of what we want to talk about today, is in that situation where someone says, look, there is more risk for me as an individual and my children as individuals to vaccinate than there is for me to not vaccinate because there is no polio here. Right. So we have an individual mandate. You can choose what is best for your children. And you also have this group social mandate and somewhat it's a social mandate backed up or put upon by a legal mandate mm -hmm. of saying, no, you have to get vaccinated so that we maintain this ability for people to opt out. There's a tension there because if we allow too many people to opt out, then herd immunity disappears. But that's mm -hmm. people's prerogative. Right. right. They're allowed to do these sorts of things in a lot of situations. We'll talk in a minute about where you're not. Right. But there's a tension there that if you want to be part of the community that helps everyone else not get vaccinations, then you are assisting someone in their personal choice to opt out of vaccines. But not too many people can do it. Right. It's a problem where your individual freedom comes at a higher price than other people's freedom to choose, which mm -hmm. is at a lower price because you're contributing to the existing pool of people who are already opting in. Right. So, And, and to be very clear, sorry, I keep interrupting. Go ahead. So, so at a basic level, the, the freedoms that everyone has to choose to vaccinate or choose to not vaccinate come at different levels of risk and different mm -hmm. social prices overall. And to be very clear, when people say, look, it's actually a higher risk for me to vaccinate my child than it is for me not to, in many cases, they're strictly speaking correct because of the function of herd immunity. As Stephen said, the problem is if enough people make that move, herd immunity breaks down and that calculus stops working. This is, in some sense, the classic example of the structure agency problem. It is right. also a classic example of game theory. If individuals make selfish choices, and maybe reasonable, rational selfish choices, I'm not using selfish here in the moral sense. I'm using it in the self-oriented, makes self -interested. sense, self-interested. Yeah, we don't, we don't have a good vocabulary for that here in many ways. But Responsible, make, perhaps. Yeah, reasonable, even. Reasonable. Uh, to, to borrow old language, reasonable, maybe not justifiable. The choice they make there is not uh, irrational. It's not unreasonable in any way. They are actually correct on the merits very often that the risk is higher for taking a vaccine than not for them as individuals. The problem is the effect that has on the group when done in large enough numbers. Right. And so there's an interesting kind of parallel here to the uh, perennial uh, question of who is my neighbor? Right. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> go into how do you want to? How do you want to interpret this? It's an important situation where you can say, well, I mean, my next door neighbor isn't vaccinating, and the other guy on the other side isn't vaccinating. I mean, it, it's 
it's difficult. And then right. you end up with situations where we have had breakouts of extremely rare or, quote, dead diseases mm -hmm. in places where there have been enough people who said, my community doesn't want to vaccinate. Right. And, and that's a sticky situation because, one, it is your prerogative. You can choose what you want. And two, anybody who's exposed to that community, even if they had perhaps had the vaccination, is now more at risk mm -hmm. because of these people who had chosen to not vaccinate in large enough groups that measles or you know any other disease starts to appear. Right. And so then the calculus of the the difficulty or the price of your personal freedoms has again shifted in that if your choice was to vaccinate and contribute and other people's was to not, then you are being disadvantaged. Right. Even though you made what was considered to be the socially contributing sort of move. Mm -hmm you might actually be being penalized for doing the right thing. Or at least being being penalized and have done the right thing. Right. Because you, you wouldn't be directly penalized by doing the right thing. It's just that other people not doing what you considered in your free rational choice to be the right thing punishes you outside of your own choice. Right. So it negates the value of right. your choice. And what I meant is... If something does go wrong from a vaccination, which again is extremely, exceedingly rare, but it, it does happen. They do have right. side effects sometimes. It's true. Then you've paid a price and maybe your neighbors haven't and maybe your neighbors get off scot-free. And that right. just stinks. It's it's a difficult tension. That's why we're discussing it here. And so what I think is interesting and why we wanted to bring this up is that this then points to the situation of how can a government legally advise, compel or otherwise push towards keeping as many of its people measles-free as possible. Right. And because that's, in our conception of what government should be doing, that seems like a good one. <laughs> we, we would prefer <laughs> that, if at all possible, low to no measles and childhood deaths from measles. That's right. an optimum situation. Right. Now, how should the government do that? Right. And that, I'm going to throw that to you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth, that's what I was thinking of going to next. So nice. Oh, great. Because this does raise the question. We're just going to say that we do think because of the way that it plays out if it's only accomplished socially, which is essentially what Stephen just traced out. The net effect, if it's only ever accomplished socially, is it stops being accomplished. Herd immunity goes away, and you're back where you started. Now, maybe you end up with a social swing back on that, but probably not without the cost of a lot of people getting crippled by polio and kids dying of measles and things that just don't need to happen. Yeah. They're not necessary. So if we say that the only way to tackle certain classes of problems, ones that look specifically like this, where... The individual costs are so low for not participating in the social good, or even where the individual cost, where there's an individual benefit for not participating in the social good, and the social good is very high, and the social cost of majority of individuals not participating is also very high. These are scenarios where it seems to us that governments may prudentially say we need to use coercion here to pull this off, even though in general, we would prefer that governments coerce as little as possible. So then the question becomes, how do we accomplish that most effectively, most wisely? 
one thing we'll say from the outset is probably not with a uniform mandate, probably not with a every child must have these vaccinations at exactly these times, period. Right. What we want to leave here is parental discretion with the awareness that kids are different, with the awareness that kids do respond differently, that individual bodies are not all identical. And so we think that, yes, government should actually use coercive means here. There should be penalties. Now, those might look different in different contexts. One of the conversations I had about this with this extended family member, whom I respect enormously, was primarily the concern that if I have my kid in school, they have to have them on these specific dates. That pushes me maybe toward homeschooling instead, where maybe that would or wouldn't be the best fit for the kid otherwise, because, hey, I'm watching my kid's health and the kid's response, and it's clear to me that this child needs them spread out because of how their body responds to vaccinations. So maybe the government has good reason to say we want all kids in elementary school to be vaccinated for the measles. But maybe the government should then have the insight and wisdom to say, but we don't actually care when. Leave that to parents' discretion and say, we need this to happen during this period of time because it's high risk, etc., and it increases risk for other kids. But don't don't require it to all be a week before first grade. Uh, or maybe you can say, if your kids are in public school, this is a mandate. But it's not a mandate if they're not, or the mandate is relaxed in how it's applied if they're not, or so on. The, the right. point I want to make there is not a specific recommendation about the way to do it, but rather to show that there are ways to apply even these kinds of mandates and even associated penalties in ways that nonetheless leave enormous room for parental and pediatricianal, which is not a word, but I made it one now, discretion Mm -hmm. about the right way to apply it to a specific child in a specific circumstance with a specific personal and medical history. Yeah. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that this is a way of looking at structure agency that says, look, there is a structure here, but you have some agency within it. Mm -hmm. So this is like fences around a building. Right. You know, it's not right up against the doors and walls so that you can't get out of the house. Like there's (laughs) there's space, but there's still there's still fences. There's still borders there on what you can and can't do. So if you in your case where you said, hey, we need to have this done by you know, the fifth grade. Well, you know, if you haven't done it by the sixth grade, then there's going to be some amount of penalty Mm -hmm. there. We gave you, you know, 10 years, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, Or 10 or 11 years, depending on um, when your child goes to the fifth grade and all of that. But, Mm -hmm. But so there's, that's one way of dealing with the situation, which is creating structures that have enough room for people to have agency within them. So they feel that their goals for their children um, are respected as well as the structure, in this case, the government, seeing the goals for the larger group of people overall. Right. Now, that's a specific case where the goals of the, of the parents and individuals are to get the vaccines, but eventually. And so... There are cases and there are people that don't want vaccines at all Mm -hmm. and respecting the desires and the agency of those people is a harder task because what they want 
as we mentioned earlier, is possible, but you can't have too many people doing it or the whole thing collapses. And that's a difficult tension because at some level, you're going to have to say there is a there is a hard border here. You have to do X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, no one gets the benefit. And then there's a lot more danger for a lot more people. Right. And so the neighborly thing becomes even more important. You have to make some sort of argument that these other people are in your best interest. Otherwise, you can just say, no, I continue to refuse and you can put me in jail and I don't care. Right. Like that's that's there's a level here where you have to have some amount of understanding and interest in the lives of at least people around you, if not people as a whole within right. the system of the structure. Right. And it's not always clear how to tackle things like that. One can imagine. Hopefully they don't physically tackle people. That was, <laughs> that's a bad, bad approach. One can imagine, uh, one can imagine ways of trying to tackle it, quotas of how many are allowed to opt out or systems where you document a reason to opt out or certain kinds of exceptions, religious exceptions, etc. Right. But all of those have some really difficult challenges for enforcement. So they're not yeah, as easy quotas as... is no one's favorite thing. No. Quota is quota is probably one of the least liked words in the English language, <laughs> I would guess. Right Quota. after moist. Moist. Yeah. So those things are perhaps worth considering and exploring. But the bigger takeaway, I think, is to say that even if you put a universal mandate with perhaps a health exception, if there's a demonstrable, this child is particularly susceptible to whatever, uh, then, okay, make that universal mandate, but do it with those that leeway, leave room for individual agency as much as possible in regulating. And in general, we think that's a helpful principle. Right. Put up the walls you need to, but don't put up more walls than you need to. And then you can take that line of reasoning and apply it to other similar structures. We would point to, for example, things about, say, emissions levels and climate change. The structure of that problem is very similar Individual costs are very low. In some cases, you might argue that there's individual benefits to ignoring those things, even for companies. Hey, Volvo. But What's up? That's uh, <laughs> actually VW. Oh, yes, you're right. I'm sorry. Volkswagen. I, Volkswagen. Yep. I'm sorry, Volvo. I, I smeared you. I didn't. I, I got it wrong. Although, but, actually, I know Audi got roped into. <laughs> Volvo may have been roped in by this point. But it was the Volkswagen guy. Yes. But all of that to say... You can look over at that and see many of the same dynamics in play, and we would suggest that many of the same kinds of reasoning ought to be in play there. It's likely that there are regulatory moves we need to make, and indeed the government has and has successfully. It's also likely that there are kinds of moves along the lines we discussed in our ISP discussion a few episodes back that ought to be made. But in all of those, we want to do that in a way that doesn't ultimately profoundly curtail human liberty and human agency. We want to remember that the reason that we care about these things is ultimately for human liberty and human agency and put better human flourishing and human good. So the point is not simply to prop up an overreach of government and governmental excess and so on. The point is to put just enough structures in place, to put just enough of a fence out there, as Stephen said, Mm -hmm. to protect everyone. And at that point, get out of the way and only enforce as you need to. 
And there are implicit, even in the last 40 seconds of Chris's talking, a lot of assumptions that we have made more clear in our Mm -hmm. previous seasons and previous episodes about the role of government and whether it can be trusted and the ways that people exert power and the types of people that are at risk and the types of people that aren't at risk and the types of people that sometimes can become at risk. There's a lot of assumptions there. We get that. And we're not unpacking that here because that's a way bigger discussion. And we've had five seasons. And we've had five seasons. So know that we definitely see that there are communities that would unduly bear some of these issues. Yes. We we definitely acknowledge that. But at a structure agency level, these are the sorts of concerns that we're thinking about in terms mm-hmm. of how does the agency and structure work? Where do those fences lie? How can we create those bounds that allow for the maximum amount of agency for the individual as well as a positive outcome for the community? And so that's a difficult thing, and that's an always shifting goalpost, right? The the rules and the expectations and the hopeful outcomes change often as right. – things happen so if we had super polio up here that we needed a new vaccine for you better believe everybody be super vaccinating we'd have a different discussion it'd be a very different thing so these are are really complicated sorts of calculus that each person has to do and that societies have to do to put these bounds up indeed you can find credits and information on the song that opened the episode at winning slowly dot org slash 5.11 thank you for letting us use uh this song thanks to andrew fallows for sponsoring the show this month if you'd like to sponsor the show you can go to patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash a dollar sign winning slowly and 10 percent of anything you give us goes to the internet archive links forever if you like this podcast please do share it with friends or post about us on social media or rate and review us in iTunes or any iPod, iPod. I love you, (laughs) iPod. I do. Any sort of podcast directory. Indeed. As ever, if you have thoughts on this episode or this issue more generally or other things we've talked about, we love it when you send comments our way. You can at us on Twitter, at Winning Slowly. Do at us, unlike all the people say on Twitter now. You could try to send us a message on our Facebook page, and we will see it after a week or so, probably-ish. Or, best of all, you can just send us an email, good old-fashioned email, at hello at winningslowly.org. One of these days, we should go the true Winning Slowly route and set up a P.O. box. Oh, man. <laughs> Wouldn't that I be would the best? It. I maybe, would do it. Maybe season six, we'll set up a P.O. box. I'll, I'll, I would check it. Yep. <laughs> And as always, thank you, long-suffering, persevering (laughs) listeners, for listening. We'll see you next time. Because I can see that he's about to do that thing. All right. He's about to go. come over here and meow at me. Yep, there he goes. <laughs> meow. Meow, please let me out. Meow. I'm not interested in your podcast. Meow.